Hello, this is Michael Stone, the host of We Earth Radio, where we have conversations that make a difference. We're committed to bringing you leading-edge thinkers in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, conscious evolution, and spiritual fulfillment. In our programs, we look for positive solutions to local and global issues that leave you touched, moved, and inspired to action. Our weekly guests include local and global experts and concerned citizens working together to heal the wounds that separate, alienate, and marginalize people. Welcome, welcome everyone to We Earth Radio. This is your host, Michael Stone, and I am so excited about today's guest. He's been an inspiration to me for over 40 years since I first picked up the Dancing Wooly Masters, an overview of the new physics, which explored not just physics, but the whole nature of reality. Gary Zukov, his gentle presence, his humor, his wisdom has inspired millions of us to realize our soul's greatest potential. He's the author of four consecutive New York Times books, bestsellers, and has appeared more than 30 times on the Oprah Winfrey Show to discuss the transformation in human consciousness and the concepts that are presented in the book, The Seed of the Soul. Today, we're going to talk about his brand new book, The Universal Human, Creating Authentic Power and the New Consciousness. Gary, welcome. Thank you, Michael. It's so good to be to see you again and to be on your show again. Yes, likewise. It's just really an honor. I'm so grateful that you've taken the time in your in your really busy schedule. I'd like to go back to before the Dancing Wooly Masters, which was my first exposure and, and really life-changing, you were in Vietnam. You were in challenging times and dealing with a lot of heavy things in your life. I'm, I'm wondering, was there a specific thing that opened you to the calling or was it a series of things? How did you, how did you get to this place where you turned your life around and started on the path of awakening? It's really hard to say when something begins and when it ends. But as, my, as I understand your question, it was in writing that book that you referred to, The Dancing Wooly Masters. I was uh, in my mid-30s, living in San Francisco then. My life was all for me. Everything was for me. I was not aware of how much pain I was in. My life was uh, motorcycles, drugs, women. No, sex with women, not women. I was invited to a meeting at the Lawrence Berkeley Laboratory because I, a friend of mine was a physicist, and I was amazed at what I heard. These people were asking themselves the question, are we creating the reality that we're experimenting with? The same thing that I had been talking in North Beach coffee shops about, but these were world-renowned physicists, and they meant it. And I came back to my apartment in San Francisco, so excited, but I could not explain or articulate what caused my excitement. So I started to study, and I asked if I could return, and they graciously agreed. And I decided to write a book called The Dancing Wooly Masters, an overview of the new physics, to provide for liberal arts majors like me, non-scientists, everything about quantum physics and more than that, on a silver tray. 
and I did. And I asked them if they would help me write the book, and and they said yes. They asked us one thing, get it right. Get it conceptually, factually, and historically correct. That was our agreement. I kept my end of it, and they kept theirs. I would send them chapters as I wrote this book because I needed that help. I'd never written a book before, and I never liked science or physics or could do mathematics. And they would send me back their notes. And I started out an outline for every chapter, of course, but I quickly discovered that the outline didn't take me where I wanted to go. So I threw it away, and I went where the energy took me. And the chapters began to accumulate at the rate of about one a month. And and after the end of six months, I had six of them, and I noticed that they all fit together perfectly, as though it had been planned. But who did that? I threw away the outlines. That's when I realized, Michael, that I wasn't alone. That's when I realized it's not possible to be alone. And therefore, it's not possible to create alone. Every creation is a co-creation. And that's when I first experienced, really experienced, non-physical reality. And that was the beginning. And it was to deepen over the next 10 years. And that's when I published The Seat of the Soul. And instead of a sequel to The Dancing Wooly Masters about another cutting-edge aspect of science like genetics, I wrote about evolution, consciousness, reincarnation, and uh, that book became the foundation of what I would do much more of in the following years. So it was in this process of writing a book about quantum physics that I gave my first gift to life. Everything before that had been for me, everything for Gary. But this was a gift with no strings attached. <laughs> I just knew I, I knew I wasn't going to be involved in physics indefinitely, and I wanted to give this gift. And my life has, I have changed my life, starting with giving that first gift. And now I love to give gifts. I was adopted into the Lakota culture about maybe 15 or 20 years ago, along with Linda. And our adopted Sioux uncle uh, loved to tell stories. And he told me once, he said, Toshka, nephew, said, you know, uh, in, a, in a buffalo herd, the calves always move to the center where they're the safest. And the old, the old buffaloes move to the outside of the herd where they give themselves to their brothers, the wolves. And he thought a minute and he said, I'm one of, the, I'm one of those old buffaloes now, Toshka. My life is all for the people. He was younger than I am now when he told me that. And now I'm an old buffalo, too. (laughs) I feel like an old buffalo myself. (laughs) As are you, Michael. Indeed you are. And so that's how I got into what has brought us together, which is love of life. Well, I'll speak for myself, but I think for you, love of life, contribution to life, Awareness of life, awareness of the depth, depth, the scope, the magnitude, the beneficence, 
unending of life and how we can contribute to that. You know, Gary, from uh, a lot of work that I've done in studying shamanism and studying indigenous cultures, they always have a creation story and they're different, but the creation story really shapes their worldview. And I'd love it if you would talk about the new creation story that you're bringing forth in this book and how that is going to shift the way we see the world. Oh, I'd love to. And, and first, I'd, I'd like to say it's not my creation story. I'm right. just writing about it. I want to suggest to our listeners, you, you, you not believe anything I say just because I say it. If I say anything that resonates with you, try it on. Uh, experiment with it. And if it produces something you like in your life, experiment some more. And if it doesn't, throw it away. Don't, don't try to wear a shoe that pinches. I suggest you do that with anyone. Don't believe anyone as they say something just because they have a pulpit or a television show or a book or a microphone. Become the authority in your own life. That's what creating authentic power is about. The universal human and everything that I've written and that Linda Francis, my spiritual partner, and I have done is about a new consciousness a transformation to human consciousness that is epic and unprecedented and happening at startling velocity right now. Our evolution of human consciousness to last year was plodding along at the rate of, uh, well, it was going slowly over 300,000 years. Now it's happening within the span of a, a few generations, human generations. This transformation to human consciousness is happening faster than a heartbeat, faster than an eye blink from the previous standards of evolutionary time. And it's bringing with it new perceptions and new potential. And it's a very sharp demarcation between before and after. The before is this. We were limited in our perceptions to the five senses, to what we could see and hear and touch and taste and smell. And our understanding and experience of power was the ability to manipulate and control. Now, our perception is no longer limited to the five senses. We're becoming multi-sensory. We have that sensory system and another one. We're becoming multi-sensory. And our understanding and experience of power is as alignment of our personality with our soul, with the part of us, the aspect of ourselves that it uh, existed before we were born and will exist after we die. Its intentions are harmony, cooperation, sharing, and reverence for life. That's different from everything in the old consciousness. So we are waking up now as spiritual beings in a world that doesn't yet recognize spirit. And so we are, have to ask ourselves, what can I do? What can I contribute to a world of discord and competition and hoarding and exploitation, a world in which life is a cheap commodity? And all the books that I write make suggestions to consider about what to do. And uh, we don't advise, we don't counsel, we don't have 
one-on-one -on -one sessions, but we do offer things to consider. And I suggest that you consider the possibility of using your time in the earth school, which is that span between your birthday and your death day, consciously. And it, the most constructive way you can use it is to align your personality with your soul, to transform your life from one of whatever it is now, which is mostly fear, into one that will be mostly love. Now, how can I say with assurance that your life is mostly fear? Because, well, you'll find out for yourself. Here's how. In order to align your personality with your soul, which means to create a life of, of love, essentially, it's necessary to find all of the parts of your personality that oppose that, that don't want that. And these are the parts that you experience as anger, resentment, jealousy, vengefulness, superiority, entitlement, inferiority, need to please, obsessions, compulsions, addictions. And we can put all of those in one basket and put a label on it, fear. We call it fear to identify it because it has all of the experiences in that basket have two things in common. They're painful to experience, and if you act on them, you create destructive and painful consequences. But your personality is not a monolithic thing. As you can see from what I'm saying, it's, it's, it's got many aspects, many. It's almost like a mandala with a center, but a lot of aspects. And other aspects you experience as gratitude, appreciation, caring, patience, contentment all of the universe. So if we can put these parts of your personality, these aspects of yourself into another basket. And on this one, we'll put the label love. Creating authentic power requires learning to distinguish love from fear in yourself and choose love all the time. No matter what's happening in yourself, like raging, anger, resentment, jealousy, or what's happening outside of you, like another 9-11 event. And to do this requires a couple of tools. This is what we do offer in our events and in our books. Emotional awareness and responsible choice with the support of guides and teachers, non-physical guides and teachers, non-physical because now we are multi-sensory. And the defining characteristic of our species is becoming communication with non-physical teachers and awareness of the world beyond the five senses. So as you develop emotional awareness, which we can talk about as, as, as you choose, it, it's essentially very easy to understand. You put your attention inside yourself when you find yourself angry, when you find yourself experiencing anything, and you put your attention in, well, we'll start with your chest throat and solar plexus area. And if you find painful physical sensations there, physical sensations, not poetic labels, like happy, sad, down, up, physical sensations. And if they throb, stab, burn, churn, ache, then you know that fear is active in you. And if you don't act on it, if you don't act it out, you'll feel that fear. And if you do act it out, you'll shout, you'll lash out with words or your fist or your deeds, and you'll create painful consequences. Now, that's why I know you can 
see for yourself whether your life is being run by fear right now or not. I can tell you after 30 years of practice, I've got a lot of frightened parts that are still active, but they don't control me as much the way they used to. And that's what happens is you create authentic power. Because once you can distinguish love from fear, then you can make a responsible choice. That's a choice that creates consequences for you, which you're willing to assume responsibility. It's as simple as that. And when you feel fear in you, that's the time to challenge it. While it's active, while you feel it's magnetic, irresistible, righteous need to impose itself on the world. That's external power, the pursuit of external power. And a big difference in our before and our after is that the pursuit of external power used to be good medicine. And that was how we evolved. We evolved by surviving. Now, it's toxic. It produces only violence and destruction. That's where we are now, Michael, and that's what I'm offering for the consideration of all of our listeners. That's what universal human is about. But universal human is something I couldn't write earlier. I've been working on this book for a long time. And so it's been working on me a long time, <laughs> about 30 years, more than that. Universal human is the next step in human evolution. Now, I know I've just described the most momentous, epic, unprecedented step in human evolution that has ever happened. The transition from five-sensory perception and power as external to multi-sensory perception and power as authentic, alignment of personality and soul. Even while this evolution is in progress and will complete itself within a few generations, another step phase in our evolution is calling to us. That is the universal human. But it's not describable. It's not really identifiable, but yet it's a part of our awareness as we become multisensory. We can experience it and do experience it sometimes like a premonition. I've, I've, I've been on Vision Quest, and so I've been up at night on a mountain all night, which means up in the morning, just before dawn, when it truly is darkest. And before there's a trace of light, even a molecule of light in the heavens, there's something that you can feel. Everyone can feel it. Something big is coming. It's the dawn, but you can't see it. And then a little while longer, you begin to see the first suspicion of light. That's where we are in our awareness of the universal human. Even as we are in becoming multi-sensory, we are beginning to feel this presence, this calling. A universal human is authentically powerful. That's why it's necessary to talk about authentic power, and I do a lot in the book. Because universal humans emerge from authentically powerful humans. Creating authentic power is not an inside track or a shortcut to the universal human. It's a, it's a requirement. A universal human is beyond culture, beyond religion, beyond nation, beyond ethnic group, 
beyond gender. A human whose allegiance is to life first with a capital L and all else second. So if I were a universal human, which I'm not, I'm an emerging universal human. But if I were a universal human, I would, I would say, I am a universal human first. You know, it, it, it's interesting in the native traditions, especially the one I'm, the ones I'm familiar with in Lakota. The eagle says, look at me, behold me, for I am holy. A universal human would say, I am a universal human first and all else second. I am a universal human first and uh, in my case, a male second. I am a universal human first and white second. I am a universal human first and American second. I am a universal human first and a grandfather second. I am a universal human first and everything else, everything that I could have or imagine being or am second. Life is my priority. Life is my address. Life is my name. I am a universal human. And that's what I love to share about. That's what the book is about. It talks about the universal human, how it's coming into being, how we first became, how we can see in retrospect, how long the universal human has been a part of us. It looks at our collapsing, no, disintegrating social structures, all of them, all of them. And this is not a catastrophe. This is growth. This is transition. This is transformation. All of our social structures, whether they're governance, commerce, education, health, jurisprudence, art, even the military, they were all built by, for, and with external power, the ability to manipulate and control. We inherited them along with the world that now overlaps the one that's emerging from a five-sensory species. And that's, that consciousness is more than dying. It's dead. But there's a tremendous inertia to it. It's continuing. It, we see it everywhere when we look at the world. But that, the consciousness that built that, you could say, is dying. But it has no more future. And the new consciousness is emerging. And new social structures of the soul are emerging through, like, like grass through cracks in the pavement. The pavement are the old social structures of the personality built on fear by personalities. So this brings me back to how I can say, you'll see for yourself how much fear is in your life as you begin to develop emotional awareness. You'll begin to see how much pain you feel. And that's because you cannot become aware in your life without becoming aware of everything. You can't cherry pick what you're going to experience as you become aware. One, one of the people that's worked with us, co-created with us for 12 years, told us early on, she said, I knew I was screwed up, but I never knew I was this screwed up. <laughs> that's an experience that's common as you begin to see the extent to which pain and fear are in your life. And this is not a judgment on how you are. 
there's something in the at the core of every human, five sensory and multi-sensory, and it is excruciating. It's the pain of wanting to belong and not belonging, of needing to be loved and knowing that you're unlovable. It's wanting to love and feeling that you're incapable. It, it's never wanting anyone to see you the way you see yourself inside because they wouldn't want anything to do with you. It's feeling intrinsically flawed, inherently defective. That's the pain of powerlessness. And it's excruciating. When we were five century, we did everything we could to mask that pain by reaching outward to change the world. That's the pursuit of external power. And we mask that pain. We mask the pain. That pain generates the frightened parts of our personality. It is the mother of them. Now that we're multi-sensory, we look inside instead of outside. Because therein lies the origin of our emotions. Painful and joyful. And as we look inside, we can then challenge and change those internal dynamics in us that create pain and cultivate the internal dynamics in us that create bliss. That's creating authentic power. That's what I love to talk about. It's inseparable from the universal human. And in my experience, it's not easy to do. But also in my experience, not to change is harder because I had no idea how much pain I was in when I was living in San Francisco and for all the years before. And I was addicted to sex. And I needed so much to prove myself and be admired. And I created moment by moment by moment with that energy. And now I'm encountering those creations, and so are you. Mm -hmm. you know, as you become multi-sensory, that, that's a gift from the universe. You don't have to develop it. But you don't become wise or kind. You become more aware. Authentic power is the potential that the new consciousness brings. And that is where your fulfillment lies. Because only in creating authentic power can you move beyond the frightened parts of your personality. Move beyond the control of them and into the ability to give the gifts that you were born to give. And that's where your meaning and purpose and fulfillment and joy lie. Oh. Right there. So powerful what you're saying. And so many questions coming up. I have to say that already your book is working on me, Gary. I got uh, this morning when I opened my mail, and I got a, a letter from someone I hadn't seen for years saying that I owed all this money. And I first I was I was really triggered and I went, oh, I'm triggered. I know there's I know there's some pain here. What is it? And I looked and it was about the unfairness and the injustice. And then I looked a little deeper and I saw the how much I was in scarcity and not in love. And I, I just I sat and meditated with that. And it was so rich to go into that trigger and to go into the body 
And I think that's a place I'd like to go back to a little bit because I've been working with people a lot in the area of trauma. And you know, I was in the corporate world for 30 some years. And so many people don't have a relationship with their body other than when it's in pain. So when you say go into the body, I know a lot of people hear that as a concept, but to actually go in the body, you know, when I teach meditation, that's one of the hardest things that people have is to actually sit still and be in their body. So before we get into the emotional intelligence, I'd like to hear a little bit about the path of embodiment, things you might have to say about that. What you're saying is the most difficult thing, I believe, is not to sit in silence, but to be aware of your life. And that's what meditation aims toward, all types of meditation. And putting your attention in your body is emotional awareness. Now, it's not necessarily emotional intelligence, as that term has emerged in our, in our vernacular. Emotional Awareness does not have to do with becoming aware of your emotions in order to use them, in order to move up a corporate or social ladder, in order to keep from being fired, in order to be more productive. It has nothing to do with the external world. It has to do with you and what you incarnated to do, which is to grow spiritually. And grow spiritually doesn't mean, as I used to think, collecting crystals or chanting or <laughs> reading spiritual books. It has to do with awareness. To, to create authentic power requires commitment and courage and compassion and conscious communication and action. Those are the, those are the authentic power guidelines, and there are several guidelines in each of those categories. And you can download them for free on our new website, seatofthesoul.com. And I suggest that you take a look at them. And if there's any of those guidelines that call to you, experiment with them. And of course, if you intend to create authentic power, experiment with all of them. So when you, and I'm speaking to everyone now, when you put your attention inward, that is the meditation. That is the embodiment. Because what you're aware of is what's in your body. And if you put your attention into seven areas, energy processing centers in your body, you will always find physical sensations there. Crown of the head, this area, forehead, throat area, jaws, shoulder area, chest, solar plexus, genital area, and the root. Uh, the, the, the bottom of your torso. So if you're familiar with Eastern cultures, these are chakras. But since I'm not a Sanskrit speaker, I call them, we call them energy processing centers because that's what they do. As energy enters your body through your crown chakra and goes down to the bottom of your body and up again, it passes through each of these energy processing centers and it, they're processed. What does that mean? It means they're processed in fear or in love, in fear and doubt or in love and trust. And if they're processed in fear, there are painful physical sensations in the vicinity of one or more of those energy processing centers. 
So if you are not aware of your emotions at all, you're emotionally ignorant. I've run into a few people like that in my life. I was in a veterans group once and one of the fellows were there was proud. He said, I don't feel anything. But he was prickly. It was like a walking explosive and you could touch him anywhere and he could explode. If you're only aware of your emotions, like you're, I'm angry, I'm sad, I'm jealous, that hurt, you betrayed me. <clears throat> That's not emotional awareness. That's emotional illiteracy. But when you can describe your emotions in terms of physical sensations, for example, I feel a stabbing area in my, a stabbing pain, sharp, in my chest area on the right side of my body. Or I feel a churning and burning in my solar plexus. Or I feel a constriction in my throat area about the size of a golf ball and it's painful. Or I feel a pain in my right shoulder. Then you are emotionally literate. And you have also embodied yourself. You know what your body is experiencing. And it's a good thing to know that if you want to change yourself. Because your emotional awareness, your energy processing system informs you when fear is active in you and when love is active in you. And until you know that difference, you can't make a responsible choice. The bare bone structure of self-transformation is unalterable. Number one, you can't change something about yourself that you don't know exists. And number two, once you become aware of it, you can't change it if you don't decide to change it. That's where your volition, your free will comes in. That's where the spiritual rubber meets the spiritual road. While you're angry, while you're jealous, while you're resentful, while you want to kill someone, while you want to kill yourself. While you can't resist sex anymore, while you can't resist bourbon, while you can't stop shopping or drinking or smoking, or why you can't resist anything that has control over you, that's the moment of opportunity. And when you challenge a frightened part of your personality, you create authentic power in that moment. And it doesn't mean that your life suddenly transforms and you become radiant. <laughs> At least I, I haven't become that radiant yet. Let me give you an example from my life. Anger was a big part of it. Anger and the addiction to sex were closely related because there was so much pain in my life that I didn't know about. And sex gave me my one and only brief respite from that pain. And the need for it, sex, was recurring and almost continual because the pain that it covered was relentless. If you don't know when fear is active in you, your, your intentions come from fear. In other words, love is a conscious intention. You can't accidentally love. Sometimes grace, you feel grace. And sometimes the loving part of your personality emerges and it loves without second agendas, without attachment to the outcome. Every frightened part of your personality, which means every painful part of your personality, when you have the courage to look inside and experience it, every part of your personality that wants to act on the world to eliminate that pain 
Get another boyfriend if the one you had left. Conceive another child if the one you had died. Every one of those impulses comes from fear. They are all unconscious. That means until you begin to change yourself, you create unconsciously, painfully, destructively. Try this out. That's what I'm suggesting to our listeners. Don't take my word for it. If this was too much, too fast for you to be able to articulate, like I tried to absorb what the physicists at that meeting at Lawrence Berkeley Laboratory were saying, I couldn't. I couldn't say what I was excited about. I had to think. I didn't even know what to think about thinking about. So I had to go back and listen to them again. I had to buy books in the used bookstores about physics and start to read until I could finally begin to articulate a little bit that much of what was exciting me. Well, if you find that kind of excitement in you now, follow it. Don't ignore it. Or you can ignore it. But if you do ignore it, you don't get punished. The universe doesn't look at life as or anything in terms of punishment and reward. It looks at it in terms of limitation and opportunity. Or put it this way, cause and effect. If you don't change your life, if you don't create authentic power, you don't go to hell. Nothing happens. That's the point. You don't change. Everything continues to happen as it's happened before. And if that's what you want to continue doing, continue doing it. You're on that track for the rest of your life, if you choose. But that's not all. For the rest of the next life, if you choose. Are you happy enough with this life that you don't possibly want to repeat it? No, I'm not saying that there aren't loving moments of deep connection. But as you create authentic power, you begin to separate the moments of deep need from the moments of deep connection. For example, when someone dies in air school, often there's a lot of grief and sorrow. That's pain, terrible pain. That's need. That's fear. That hurts. Love doesn't hurt. When friends or people tell me now, oh, my, my grandfather just died, or my daughter just died of cancer. There used to be a part of me that was irresistibly wanting to say, oh, I'm so sorry. My sister died too. Oh, I wish, I mean, she didn't, but that's, I want to say something like that. Now, I say with a, with a smile, I'm celebrating her life too, with you. And it comes from my heart. There's no pain in love. Unrequited love is nonsense. Love is love. It doesn't have any requisitions. It doesn't require anything. Unrequited need is horribly painful. And that's what you experience when you develop emotional awareness, not just emotional intelligence, but awareness. One of the things that really uh, intrigued me and I, and I got excited about as a portal to awareness that you talked about in the book is temptation. Can you uh, talk a little bit about temptation and how that can really be an opportunity for huge awakening? Yes. We experience temptation all the time. Temptation is a gift from the gracious universe that draws your attention to what a frightened part of your personality 
is planning to do. It brings negativities into your awareness so that you can see them clearly and decide to act on them or not. Having the temptation does not create consequences for you. Acting on it does. So a temptation is not the work of something outside of you. It's a product of an internal dynamic. And it's a masterpiece. Whatever this frightened part of you is planning to do, it's going to show it to you in detail. It's going to be a touchy-feely kind of movie. If for, if, for example, you're thinking about committing adultery, it's going to show you how good that looks and how good it's going to feel and how you're going to feel when you're doing it and after. It's going to be a temptation is a dress rehearsal for a negative karmic event. It's a dry run. You get to see it at the final rehearsal. After the final rehearsal, the theater doors are thrown open and the audience files in. And you act. And when you act on a temptation, your energy that has until that moment been confined to the sphere of your personal energy spills out onto the energy spheres of other individuals. And that is when karma is created. That's when energy is, becomes matter and in that process is infused with fear. Now, why am I speaking so much about temptation? Most people think of temptation in terms of major sins. First of all, that's a word we picked up in the last couple of thousand years. I suggest that you open yourself to looking at your life from a broader point of view. I'm not saying that there isn't a wonderfully broad point of view in every major religion, but the religion itself is very much confined compared to a universal truth on which it's based. There is nothing to sin against. There is cause and effect. If you participate in a cause, you will participate in the effect. In terms of the great teacher, Christ, he put, it's simple. Don't judge or you're going to be judged. And do you really want to act on that impulse to judge and punish? Be aware. If you throw the stone first, are you willing to receive the stones that are, you're going to feel thrown at you? That's the power of what this amazing presence in the earth gave to us, love, the idea of love. Well, that is the temptation that we experience moment by moment as we become multisensory. The temptation to act in the old consciousness from a frightened part of your personality which means a part that is righteous, that rages, that is affronted, that intends to change the world and make the world and make others right. 
which means conform to its way of looking at the way the world and they need to be. That is a temptation. Every time you feel an angry impulse, every time you feel jealous, every time you experience a frightened part of your personality, and you will as you develop emotional awareness, that is a temptation. Because if you follow it, you will create painful consequences for yourself. Pursuing external power now produces only violence and destruction. And if it's a, a loving part of your personality that you're experiencing, gratitude, patience, not to gain an end, not to manipulate, but for the release of it, the pleasure of it, the fulfillment of it, the joy of it, the naturalness of it, then that's cultivating a loving part of your personality. But frightened parts are the parts that are especially interesting and important to look at because they are the ones that you must change in order to transform yourself. The loving parts of your personality were given to your soul at its incarnation to take with you, you might say, on your journey through the earth school. They're already aligned with your soul. They feel grateful, appreciative. They love. They're in awe of the universe, but the frightened parts that are angry, jealous, vengeful, those are the parts that your soul gave you. Those are the parts that immediately upon your incarnation begin to create the circumstances that you need to experience in order to challenge these parts of your personality that your soul desires you to move beyond the control of. As you create authentic power, this is another way of saying, you contribute consciously to the evolution of your soul. And not just the evolution of your soul, I think, but to the to humanity. There's there, you know, a lot of what we've been talking about is our personal awareness, working through these things and and yet there is an awakening, a co-creation. I'd love it if you would talk about sacred reciprocity and uh, you know the what Thich Nhat Hanh called interbeing as we're entering this new, completely new epoch of consciousness. That's a co-creation. Can you speak to that a little bit, Gary? Yes. Everything is sacred not just reciprocity. Cruelty is sacred. Stinginess is sacred. In other words, all the frightened parts of your personality are sacred. All the loving parts are sacred. People that you love are sacred and people that you hate are sacred. Things that you want to happen and things that your personality do not want to happen are sacred. At the core of creating authentic power is changing the world, but not changing the world because it's out there and you can do something to it to change it. You, the Lakota say, and I know this is the third time I've uh, referred to Lakota culture. It's not 
that it is that big a thing in my life, but it's not the that big a thing. Everything is that big a thing in a life as you become aware and you become appreciative. Our friend Ram Das, and we were, we got to know him in the last three years of his life. Uh, and we were at his house once and we saw a dirty, <laughs> saw this square of dirty, dirty, dirty carpet like taken up from a restaurant after it should have been replaced 10 years ago. And it was in a frame. <laughs> it was sent to him by one of his friends. And that's because the friend at one time had asked Ram Dass, do you love everything? In, do you love everything in the world? Do you love everybody and everything? And Ram Dass said, yes. He said, do you love me? Ram Dass said, yes. And he said, do you, do you love this carpet? And Ram Dass said, yes. And he said, do you love it as much as you love me? And Ram Dass said, yes. And so he sent him a piece of carpet frame to remind himself, not Ram Dass, of that. Ram Dass never forgot that. Because Ram Dass wasn't seeing carpet. He wasn't seeing friend. He wasn't seeing restaurant. He wasn't seeing picture frame. He was seeing life. And it's all sacred. It's all sacred. It's all sacred. When you change you, you change the world. The love and fear in you are the same love and fear in the world, not like the love and fear in the world. There's no other way you can change the world except by creating authentic power. If you think about it, you'll see that's hardly presumptuous. It's obvious. The world as we inherited it is based on external power, the ability to manipulate and to control. You can't change that with more external power. If you have the resources, you can't buy billboards up and down every interstate freeway and say, choose love. That's not going to change anything. You're trying to change the world to make yourself feel better. And that's the pursuit of external power. But you can contribute something different to the world, authentic power. And when you do, you change the world. Not only because it changes every collective in which you participate from your family to your community, neighborhood, to your community, to your town, city, state, nation, ethnic group, gender, but because you are those things. That's the consciousness of the universal human. We can say words, we can't explain it, but we're headed there. Every time you create authentic power, you turn yourself in the direction of the universal human. And eventually, universal humans will begin to emerge from authentically powerful humans everywhere. Right now, emerging universal humans are emerging everywhere. That's what Universal Human, the book, is dedicated to. That's, and I'm beginning a podcast, Michael, called Universal Human, this month or the next. It's dedicated to uni emerging universal humans. And on this podcast will be individuals who can see in themselves or think they see in themselves aspects of emerging universal humans beyond religion, nation, culture, ethnic group and gender, allegiance to life first, 
and then in discussion with these individuals, illuminate the potential of the universal human and inspire individuals who are listening to look for those things in themselves because they might be emerging universal humans. Take a look and see. I'm really looking forward to this. Mm, beautiful. Will that be on the seatofthesoul.com uh, site? I believe that it will be. I believe there'll be a page there. And then when you click that page, you, you'll see the podcast page, Universal Human, with something about Universal Human and then episode pages and things like that. Things that you've done so well for 40 years. Well, we could go on forever, but we're getting close to the end of the time. And I want to see if there's uh, just a seed of something that we might have missed that we could share in this next couple minutes with uh, our listeners. I see you as an emerging universal human, Michael. And anyone who can read your webpage or listen to any of your podcast episodes can see that once they know what a universal human is. So it would be an honor if you would be one of my guests on the Universal Human podcast. My only reservation is that we would spend the whole time shaking our heads up and down at one another. <laughs> I don't want that to happen. I really want to dig into what it means to feel in yourself any of these aspects beyond culture, beyond nation, without judgment, just what you are feeling. And that's what I try to do in myself. And that's what I feel in conversation will illuminate best what it feels like to be an emerging universal human. I would be deeply honored to oh, be you. on your podcast, Gary. Thank you. Such a, a delight. And I feel very humbled. And just I and that's something we haven't talked about, but I think as we do the work of awareness of our emotional, our physical, and and expanding beyond the five senses, it does bring about a sense of humility and and deep, deep gratitude. And I am so grateful to you for being an inspiration to me for 40 years. And and God, we're getting old. <laughs> but we're, Barbara Marks Hubbard used to say, no, I'm not getting older, I'm getting newer. I think we're getting newer. <laughs> <laughs> Barbara is charming, charming. Yeah, she was. She was yes. a very special woman. So, just but she's right. She's right. That's a wonderful way of describing it. Uh, at the same time, I can't say that I'm getting newer, but many of my perceptions and appreciations are new. And at the same time, all of the things that I have lived in my past are not memories I've discovered. They're still present and being lived. And anyone who goes into them, their past will sometimes be jolted at how vivid a, quote, memory can be of something that happened when you were in junior high school or when you were even a toddler. That happens also. That's because these moments are not gone and recorded in your cerebral cortex somewhere. As they appear to you, there's correlate, correlations in your brain. But that exists. It exists and in real time now. All of this is completely inexplicable, uh, ridiculous, 
and disdainable from the perspective of the intellect. But the intellect was designed to work hand in hand with the five senses. It concludes, deduces, analyzes, and reports what is most helpful in the data of the five senses to the pursuit of external power. And all of that no longer serves our evolution. To understand and communicate, to even to comprehend and communicate multisensory perception requires a higher order logic and understanding of the heart. We haven't discussed that, but that'll be part of your journey into authentic power and multisensory perception as well. Yeah. Uh, Gary Zukov, thank you. So much gratitude for sharing the wisdom that has been collected, the presence that you bring, and the inspiration. It's just an honor to be with you and have you on We Earth Radio. Thank you, Michael. We Earth Radio is an independently produced program supported by listeners like you. We are committed to bringing you leading-edge thinkers in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, conscious evolution, and spiritual fulfillment. If you would like to receive our complimentary newsletter, The Well of Light, make a contribution, or listen to any of our past shows, go to our website, welloflight.com. Thank you so much for your commitment to a world that works for all life.